If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be looking today in the book of Ruth. Ruth is, the story of Ruth is one of my favorite stories in the, uh, in the Scripture. There is so much in those four chapters that really through the years, I do not know how many times that, that I've preached from the book of Ruth or recounted the story over and over again, and, and it never loses uh, the significance and the intrigue to me. I always enjoy going back through the story of Ruth. There's something there that, uh, that always jumps out at me. And uh, I trust that in our time together this morning that there will be a few things that I'll point out that maybe you haven't considered uh, of late and it will be a blessing to you. We're going to read from the first chapter of Ruth. I'll read verse 14 through 19. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the uh, ESV version. It has a little bit more uh, descriptive words. And so if you're not seeing exactly in your King James Version or whatever it may be, know that we're not changing it in any way. It's just a little bit more descriptive. So Ruth, the first chapter, verse number 14, it says, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. It sounds like she had a made-up mind that she was not going back. She was not going back. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. When she realized that, that Ruth had her mind made up, Naomi chose not to say anything else to Ruth about going back. It was something that stood out to her. Now, the two of them, the Bible said, Naomi and Ruth, they, they're returning now. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. This text here, could, it could have read differently, at least at this point. It could have read in a number of, of ways, at, at least three different ways. It could have read, and Naomi went on alone to Bethlehem. It could have read, and Naomi, her two daughter-in-laws in tow, went on to Bethlehem. Or it could read in this third way, and that is the two of them. The two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, 
Is this Naomi? Naomi had been through a decade of disaster. And when she arrives back at home, she was unrecognizable because of all that she had been through. You know that life can put us in situations where people who knew us before do not know us after? Because of, in her case, all of the trouble and all of the struggle and all of the disaster that she had been through, the women looked at her and said, Is this Naomi? Can this be the same one that left here all those years ago? Now, I'm going to talk to you from this text, and, and we'll go on to chapter 2, and then we'll jump to chapter 4 before the, we get through here today. But I want to start here by just saying that there is an act. Everybody say an act. There is an act that releases favor in your life. And it's an act that not only releases favor in your life, it releases favor in my life, and it releases favor, it will, in any other one, anybody else who chooses to take the action, it will release favor in their life likewise. And we're going to talk about that today. God bless you. Thank you for, for standing for a little while here. I said earlier that this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and honestly, I could take this afternoon and just go through the story uh, in detail and verse by verse pick out things that through the years have stood out to me. But today I'm, I'm only going to focus on a few of the things and because of that I'll have to move rapidly through a little bit of the history and the story and I hope that, that you understand and will follow along with me. But uh, you have a family. You have a family here. This, this story of Ruth is about a family unit that began with a man and woman and their two sons who saw coming their direction much heartache and suffering and sacrifice and they decided uh, it would be to their best benefit and, in, and best interest to move from where they were into a different part of the country in order to survive what was headed their way. You have this family that moves out of the place of their upbringing into the land of Moab in order to survive a famine that was coming. In time, the sons that were taken ended up marrying women from this distant land. And as this decade of disaster goes by, you have uh, death that arrives in that home. The man of the home dies, the two sons die, and there is left simply the wife and two daughter-in-laws to fend for themselves and try to survive in a strange land. Now, the customs and the laws and the expectations of Moab was much different than what Naomi was accustomed to and what she was uh, familiar with. So the Bible tells us the story of how she comes to a decision to return home. We've been gone and while we have been gone, things changed at home. 
It also changed where we are in Moab. I've lost my husband. I've lost my sons. And now I have two daughter-in-laws. I don't know how I'm going to make it. If I go home, there is potential of survival there because of the custom and the laws that are in place for for widows, if you will. And, And Naomi makes this decision that she is going to go home. In making that decision, she looks at her daughter-in-laws who were from the land she was dwelling in and she said to them, if you would like, it is perfectly fine with me if you stay right here, if you go back to your families. Because uh, the truth of the matter is, I'm not going to be remarried most likely. I'm not going to have more children. Uh, Those children are not going to be sons. They will not grow up and you be able to marry one of the brothers of, of, of a husband that has passed away. And so as far as it appears to me, your future going with me is bleak. It's dim, and there's not much promise for you. You have no further obligation with me. There is nothing that I want to put on you where you would feel like you have to make this journey with me. You are free to go back to your family. You're free to go back to the life that you once knew. And the Scripture tells us that uh, there was an emotional event that took place. They began to weep. You can only imagine the connection that was there. They had lived through the death of a father-in-law, a husband. They had lived through the deaths of husbands and sons. And they they had gone through the loss of brother-in-law. This this whole family dynamic was now in flux and it, it was shaken and they were overwhelmed with what they had been through. And they're looking at their mother-in-law wondering if they're ever going to see her again, what the future may be, if there will ever be another connection with her. When she leaves today, will we ever see her again? And they're trying to deal and grapple with all of the pain, all of the loss, all of the what-ifs, all of the future, all the suffering, all the stuff that's going on. And they're overwhelmed in the moment and the Bible tells us they lifted up their voices and they wept again. They were weeping. They were crying. It wasn't a silent, by yourself, alone type of suffering. This was visible. It was out front. Everybody saw it. They were broken. They're in that place of decision. And everything about the future is going to be affected. Something fell. What was it? See, the drums are even... Is it the drums? The drum mic. Okay. Drum mic. See, I'm preaching so good that it just... Mic drop. Thank you, Cindy. So, here they are in this moment. And the Bible said they lifted up their voices and they wept. They wept. And then something happens. Orpah, one of the daughter-in-laws, in that emotional moment, kisses Naomi. I'm sure she hugged her, pulled her close, and thought of all of their experiences together. When, you know, he brought her home and said, Mom, this is the one. You know, she was thinking of those moments when Naomi said, I I think she's a good girl. This, This may work out. Approval. She was thinking about the process of dating 
engagement, the wedding, the money, the effort, the counsel, the time spent, all of this history that they had together, and now it's coming to an end, and, and she's not sure that they'll ever encounter one another again. And she embraces her mother-in-law and kisses her, weeping and crying in that moment. Then the Bible said, but Ruth, the other daughter-in-law, same experiences, same opportunity, same environment. The Bible said Ruth clung to her. So one in the moment of emotion and memory embraces and shows affection, kisses her mother-in-law and turns and walks away. And at Naomi's feet, is Ruth holding to her, clinging to her robe, grasping onto her ankles, clinging in a way that was saying, I'm not letting you go. I don't like the moment I'm in. I'm not comfortable with where we're at right now. But I know with all of the decisions that have to be made, I know one thing, I'm not letting you go. And she clings on to Naomi. Now, this is amazing because from that, the Bible says that Naomi looks at her and says to her, go with your sister-in-law. We've had this conversation. You are unfamiliar with where I'm going. You, you don't know the people I know. You don't know the laws and customs that I know. You don't know the environment that I'm headed back into. I'm not even sure how I will be accepted. I'm, I'm going to swallow my pride most likely because we left a decade ago when all of them were struggling to go survive on our own. I'm sure I'm going to have to answer questions. I'm sure that it's going to be an uncomfortable setting. I'm, I, you don't have to go back into the firestorm with me. Go with your sister-in-law. She has gone back, and the Bible said, she's gone back to her people and to her gods. She's gone back to the things that she was familiar with in times past. She's, she's gone back to the things that she worshipped at one time. Let me, let me explain something to you. We all come from different family dynamics. And every family is different. And every family worships and honors something a little bit different. Some people honor and worship entertainment. Some people worship and honor addiction. Some people worship and honor and live their life at the altars of materialism. Some, some families, and all of our families are different, how we were raised and what was important. For us, you know, church was the priority. It was the thing in my upbringing that was never optional. I never heard, uh, what well, you want to go this week or not? I, I didn't even understand that was even a possibility in the realm of possibility. We went. We went sick. We went sleepy. We went with homework due. We went while people were playing in the streets. We went while people were involved in other things. 
We went to church because every time the doors were open, that's where our family went because the God of that house is who we worship and He was always first in every situation. It's just the way it was. If you were sick, you were just kept at a distance from everybody some of the time. And if you were not kept at a distance, they just anointed you with oil and believed you'd be okay. I can't even tell you how many naps I've taken under old slatted benches and and sleeping under those things with people shouting all around and high fever, the kind of fever where you're kind of, you know, a little bit delirious. Yeah, we went to church that way. Because our family served the God of that house. And that's who we worship. And that's where our allegiance was. So, so every family was different. And this is what you have to realize. When you move into a different family, if you choose to go back to who you once were and the family dynamic that you were once comfortable in, you will also have to go back to the things that they value most. So you can't take a little bit of this and go back and mix it with a little bit of that. If you go back to that, you're going back to what's important to them. Don't think it's strange when they look at you and there's a little bit of a difference there when you're around them and they're kind of uncomfortable with you because the one you worship now is not the one they worship. It's not going to be comfortable anymore. It's not going to fit. But the Bible said that she went back to not only her people, her family, she went back to their gods. She went back to what was important to them. And, 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 and Ruth is saying to Naomi, don't encourage me to do that. Don't urge me to go back to that. Don't, don't try to push me back into that. I found something that's different. I found something that's outside of that. And, and I don't want to go back to that. In fact, let me go as far as telling you, wherever you go, that's where I'm going. I don't care what meets us there. I don't care what opposition is there. It doesn't matter to me what the struggle will be there. I'm going where you go. And wherever you live, that's where I'm living. And, and whatever God you serve, that's the God I'm going to serve. And in fact, I will die wherever you die. And I will be buried right there. And the Bible said when Naomi saw this and heard this, she just refused to continue encouraging Ruth to go back. And we get to the verse 19 where it says that the two of them go to Bethlehem. So this this story is interesting, and I'm going to give you a few things along the way, and, and this is where we're going to start. Before you ever carry out, see, she carried out something. She carried out in the 19th verse by arriving in Bethlehem. That was carrying out. But before you ever carry something out, you have to commit to something. The commitment was, wherever you go, I go. Wherever you live, I live. Whoever you worship, I worship. Wherever you die, I die. That was the commitment. But you can't carry something out if you're not committed to it first. Okay? But... You can't just commit to something that you do not first cling to. So this whole process 
of her, Ruth and Naomi, Ruth especially, arriving in Bethlehem began in verse 14 when she clung to Naomi. Her sister-in-law goes home and she says, I'm not letting you go. So before you ever carry something out, you have to cling to it. And once you cling to it, then you commit to it. And once you commit to it, then you can arrive at carrying it out. There's a lot of people that talk about living for God and they cannot carry out living for God. They cannot get to their Bethlehem. They cannot get to the place where they were headed because they think it's all in just the carrying out. It's not in, i got to live a certain way, i got to do a certain thing. You have to back way up before you ever get there if you're going to be successful. It starts with clinging. Clinging means nothing else matters. Nothing else is more important. Nothing else to me is appealing. Nothing else sounds good. Nothing else is an option for me. This is the only option. When He becomes your only option and you cling to Him, that is the first step of getting to that place where you can carry out living for Him. You can't live for God if you don't cling to Him. I don't care who you are. There will come a time where something will show up that is more appealing, more interesting, more intriguing to you, and you'll look that way if you're not clinging to Him. I'm really going to take my time and say this because I want you to get it. That it's like the first time you walked into a church and said, that's all that matters to me. I am going to give my life to Him. I'm wrapping myself. You can't start that way and then let go somewhere along the way and not have those same feelings and passions and carry out living for Him. It does not work. It starts with clinging. Here's what most people do. Oh, I'm just so, it's just, I just wish it was different. I'm just so emotional when I look back and I think where He found me from and where the Lord brought me from. I just get, that's emotion. Oh, I love this song. Woo! My God, Pastor didn't even preach. It was so powerful, I didn't even need word. I just felt good about it. And tomorrow, Tomorrow, living like the world. But today, they're kissing all over him. Oh, so emotional. Oh, it's so wonderful. We get so caught up in the emotion. And we get so caught up in the feelings that we think the display of affection is what keeps us to the place that we carry something out. It's not. You know what keeps you to the place of living for Him? Carrying out, following Him, not going back. It starts not with a kiss. It starts with grasping Him. Clinging to Him. Walking in and say, I love Him whether all hell is breaking loose in my life or I'm on the top of the world. It doesn't matter. He is my one and only and I am going to hold on to Him no matter what's going on in my life. You know, when people live on an emotional high, then depending on what's going on in their life, they're all good with God or they're mad at God. 
Well, God did this and God didn't answer. And God, if you're clinging to Him, you're not riding an emotional, affectionate, if you will, roller coaster. This act of clinging is where it all begins to release favor in your life. You guys know what crocodile tears are? Or they just have those in the South. I mean, Karen thinks that everything I talk about is in the South, but you know, you guys need to get up with it. You know what crocodile tears are. What about kids? Anybody have kids? That know how to turn it on when they need to turn it on. <laughs> I'm never gonna, I promise, I promise, I'm never gonna do it again, you little liar. It's like 30 seconds, they'll be right back into it. I mean, two minutes later. You know what? Get a hold of them and say, stop. Don't, don't, let, don't let that happen. You let them do that, and they will control your life with things that are not important. When you get through with that, we will talk. But right now, there have been many times I've looked at my girls growing up and said, you know what, I, I hate that you're crying and all. That, don't, that doesn't change what we're about to do. That, 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 that's what one daughter-in-law was doing. Oh, you're so important. You mean so much to me. I've just got so many great memories. Bye. And the other one is literally at her feet, holding on, saying, I'll die with you. There's a big difference. See, we think, I'm so, <laughs> okay, the favor of God, big-hearted God, I'm so sorry for you, baby. Here's all the blessings. Live like a devil, worship other gods, go back to your worldly people, and you still get all my favor. I love you. No, it doesn't work that way. If you're, if you're going to have favor released in your life, it starts with the act of clinging to Him. And you can't even, you can't even commit until you cling. Once she had held on to her mother-in-law, then she makes these commitments to her. And we see in the text here that she finally arrives at the place of carrying out what she committed to. But that was only possible because she clung to her first. He has to be your everything. All the time. And when you cling to Him that way, there is no commitment that's too big or too great or journey that's too long or far that you're not willing to go on with Him because where else would you be if you're holding on to Him? But wherever He goes, I'm going to be there. Wherever He arrives, that's where I'm going to be there. It goes beyond an emotional thing. All right? Nothing wrong with emotions, and, and I'm perfectly fine with that. But know that you can't live on those. And you'll never carry things out. So let me jump ahead to the second chapter, and, and I'm going to set this up. So they get home. People don't recognize Naomi. Naomi knows the customs and the laws of the land, and, and their way of survival was someone's ha someone has to go out into the fields and uh, gather the, uh, the harvest so we can survive, so we can eat. 
And, and it's going to be your responsibility. And so Ruth takes the direction of her mother-in-law and she goes out and finds a field that she can glean in or she can gather things that were dropped along the way or on the outskirts of the field. And she comes home every evening after being in the field all day behind the harvesters and she comes home with a garment full of something to sustain them. And she does this to the point that people working around began to recognize, wow, who is this woman? Where did she come from? She, she's not from here. I don't recognize her. Well, oh, oh, that's Naomi's daughter-in-law. You know, the one that left all those years ago, all that tragedy that we heard about, her husband's dead, her sons are dead, and, and all the loss, one of her daughter-in-laws goes back. And this is a daughter-in-law that comes home with her, and she's out here just uh, gathering food. Man, this is incredible. We, we need to go tell somebody about this woman right here. And so the news begins to travel, and it ends up finally in the ears of the most powerful and influential man in that property or in that area. And, and Boaz, the Bible tells us, and we'll read it now, he said, so Boaz takes Ruth, or, or excuse me, Boaz answered her, all that you have done, I, I love this, he, he, he hears the news, he engages her, and he said, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death, the death of your husband has been fully told to me. He said, I've heard your whole story, how you stayed with her when your husband died. Now, I, I, I don't know how much it, it relates, and some of you uh, maybe have a different experience, but when my oldest nephew passed away, my oldest nephew had uh, been married just a short time, I don't know, two or three years, a few years maybe, and um, he had a two-year-old son. He and Marley, the son, are a month apart, so he was born, Steve Michael was born in February, and Marley was born in... March, and they just recently, both of them, uh, just recently turned 13. But he was two when my nephew, his father, died unexpectedly with a young wife and uh, really someone completely disconnected with anything church-wise and uh, what my nephew grew up in. And my, I remember my sister and brother-in-law wondering what's going to happen now. Here's our two-year-old grandson. Is she going to take him and be gone? And we have nothing to do with his life from this day forward. Well, I remember 13 years ago or so, or 12 years, 11 years ago, when all that was uh, up in the air. But the story is my niece ended up moving in with my um, sister and brother-in-law, and, and she has been with them for the last 11 years in their home. She went on and got her GED. And then she went on and just last year graduated from Liberty University. And, and she got her degree living in their home and gave my, my sister and brother-in-law the opportunity to raise their grandson and my brother-in-law the chance to raise him uh, like his son because he had lost his son to, to death. So, so it's interesting how some of these stories 
correlate with, with our everyday lives. So here is a girl that comes in from the outside, but, but there's things to be recognized about her life. There's things to be seen. And Boaz sees and he hears and he said, I heard everything about your life and how you've been there with, with her once your, your husband uh, passed away. And, and he goes on to say, it's been fully told me how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you. He said, I see all of this. And because of that act, the Lord repay you. Repay you for what you have said. Is that what it is that what your Bible says? It says, the Lord repay you for what you have done. See, if you're going to have release in your life, it's not coming because of what you say. It comes because of what you do. It's not because you get emotional and run. And hey, I want to have great emotional, wonderful, spiritual, outpouring type of services. But I've seen a lot of people that shout on Sunday and backslide on Monday. I mean, I mean, tongues so long they can sit on the front porch and lick the skillet in the kitchen. Shout and speak in tongues and whoa, my God. Do all of that. And before they get out the door, gripe and fuss and criticize and gossip and slander and tear everybody down in the church and the pastor because he didn't do what they thought he should do. See, if favor's coming in your life, it's not coming because of what you, I love you so much. <laughs> love you. Bye. That's not what releases it. He said. May the blessings and favor of God come on you because of what you have done. Because of what you did. How, how you lived. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Remember, her sister-in-law was taking refuge under the wings of gods that did not exist. And she decided, this is more than something I'm saying. This is more than an emotional response. I'm clinging to this. And as a result, she came under the wings of the one true living God. And He became her refuge. And favor and blessing was released in her life. Oh, uh, this, this is an incredible uh, set of verses here. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me. That verse, or that word just is amazing to me. Here is a woman that was not comforted. Here's a woman that lost family and loved ones and, and, and history and all that she knew. How many years had she been living empty, living, suffering, laying awake at night? tormented, stressed over the past, all the stuff she, she couldn't find comfort anywhere. But she said, when you started speaking to me and you started saying that I found refuge in a certain place and God was going to reward me, I feel comforted for the first time in years. Here is this woman being comforted all because she clung to something. 
If you want comfort in your life, you're not going to get comfort just talking about it, wishing for it. You get comfort because you start with clinging to something worthy and something worthwhile. It will bring comfort. So she said, you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. She said, you're treating me as someone that belongs, and I don't even belong. I've just been slipping around in the field here, picking up what was left over. You didn't hire me. I'm not a harvester here. I'm just someone who's trying to survive for my widowed mother-in-law, and we're just trying to get by. But you're treating me like somebody important. You're treating me like someone worthy of so much more. So here's what I want you to see. It starts with clinging. It moves to commitment. From commitment you go to carrying it out. And while you're carrying it out, everybody say, while I'm carrying it out. Somebody will communicate what you're doing to a person of influence. You know the folks that get the promotions on the job and get the things coming their way? Most of the time, they're not the ones kissing up. This does apply. You kiss up, you end up going back. You cling and pour yourself into it, and what you're doing gets communicated to someone that can make a difference in your life. Hello? You know, that's my dad didn't have a college education... He barely made it through high school in like a one-room one schoolhouse. And, and, and growing up, I'd hear his stories of having two pair of pants and a couple of shirts and old washboards. And his sisters and mom would try to keep those things clean. And he's a senior in high school with maybe one or two pair of pants and a couple shirts and, and some shoes that uh, when the holidays rolled around, Christmas gifts were maybe an orange in your shoe or, or, or some fruit that was there. You might get the old... Uh, a spool that the thread came on and that's what you played with because his mother quilted and you know there was didn't have it he didn't have all those things and, and so growing up he was always pressing on us the need to, to do more and have more because he didn't have the opportunity to do that went into the army young and, and all of those things but when my dad first went into uh, uh, working in business he worked for GMAC and he was in their finance division, and there were several other men and people above him, and he came in as the repo man. My dad was a repo guy. Uh, I don't know if it was because he liked to fight, and they knew that, but my dad was that kind. He came from a fighting family, and they fought each other, and they fought everybody, and they, you know, it's South Louisiana, and there's Cajuns, and, and that blood's in us, and I mean, it's just, it's the French stuff. I don't know what it is, but he liked to fight. He was always in fights. He, his sisters fought with him. They beat people up. His parents fought. They, they ran moonshine. Yes, that's my history. Yes, that's... That's where we came from. So my dad ends up the repo guy, GMAC, and, and he's out, you know, uh, trying to get payment, not payment. He's, he's taking cars and, you know, high-speed chases. So my dad ends up in this finance uh, area as a repo guy, and there's, I don't remember now, number of seven, eight, nine other people above him. They're all in the office and secretaries and all, and he's out on the street. But my dad got up early every day. And he worked hard all day. He was the first one to show up and the last one to leave. And 13 years later, when he left that job to go full-time in the ministry, he was running the office in Houston. And all of those other men were under him. 
And he had six or seven secretaries that were all day approving and declining finance situations. And he was on a fast track to New York City. Several years ago, Lisa and I were there, and I went by the building in, G, uh, in New York City, GMAC, and I took a picture of the little sign on the building because that's where my dad was headed when God called him into the ministry. He didn't have what everybody else had. He just worked hard. He didn't have the education. He just worked hard. He, he didn't have all of maybe some of the advancements. And had he had the opportunity, he would have done that. It just wasn't the way it happened for him. He just got up early and stayed up late and pushed 16, 17, 18 hours a day. And, and so I was raised in that kind of environment where my father missed five days of work in 13 years for sickness, for baby deliveries, for deaths in the family, for it's flu season, I got a little sniffle. He missed five days work in 13 and a half years. And he worked 16 and 18 hours a day. But when he came to the end of that career, he was the man in that office. Because along the way, somebody saw what he was doing. Along the way, somebody said, well, have you considered Mr. Mitchell? Have you considered Mr. Mitchell for that promotion? Have you considered Mr. Mitchell? You work hard and you don't just talk about... It's like people that talk about fishing, never go fishing. People that fish, go fishing. People that talk about fishing can tell you everything about it. But if you say, when's the last time you went fishing? Well, mm, it's been a while, huh? the same way with the rest of this stuff. You can talk a big game, but it all comes down to what you're doing every day. And so she's living it. She's out there in the morning gathering stuff, throughout the day, in the heat, gathering stuff, in the evening, gathering stuff, bringing it home, surviving. And somebody says, have you seen that woman? Do you know that woman? Does she belong to us? And it gets to Boaz, and when he hears of it, he brings her in and he says, something's about to change for your life. God is going to open up the heavens and favor is coming on you. So you go from clinging to commitment to carrying out to someone communicating to the right person of influence what you have done, right? And when that communication happens, then we read what I read to you. Your words comfort me. See, we want comfort first before we do anything. That's where we are in 2018. That's where the church is. That's where the world is. That's where everybody's living. Let me go to church and you comfort me and you tell me everything's going to be good and then I'll consider living for God. You got it all wrong. It doesn't work that way. Comfort comes after clinging. Comfort comes after commitment. Comfort comes after carrying it out. I wish it was different, but it's not different. Comfort comes after what you're doing is communicated to the right person, and then comfort comes. So sometimes you have to live through a lot of trouble before comfort ever gets to you. So she's comforted, and now I want to close here. Let me go to chapter 14. We're at the end of this short book, and we're toward the, the latter part of the text, uh, verse number 13, 13 through 15. And so it's all seen, done, and... Uh, there's a connection that is made there and, and, and because of their laws and because of the things that were set in place, uh, Ruth could not be connected to Boaz immediately. There were decisions that had to be made. Uh, the next of kin. So 
there's property involved. There's uh, material things, resources involved. And, and it comes to their attention that there may be something between Boaz and Ruth, but before it could ever develop into that, there were other things that had to be dealt with, and those things were dealt with. The meeting happened. You read it in the third chapter. The meeting takes place into the fourth chapter. Let me go talk to the next of kin. Hey, are you interested in taking all the responsibilities and the properties and material things of a family member that died in Moab? Yeah, I want all of that stuff. Okay, you can have all of that, but there's one caveat here, and that is he has a widow and he has a daughter-in-law. Wait a minute. You mean I got to take on them also? Yeah, yeah. And she's a Moabitess. You, you're getting somebody from a strange land in your house. You, you sure you want her? Sure you want all this craziness? Man, I got so much drama in my life right now. I don't know if I want to take anybody. I want the land, but I don't know if I want all this extra stuff. Well, that's part of it. You want the land. You want the resource. You want, you're going to have to take her. And it's all, it's all coming to you. Come on, let's make the decision right now. But just in case, I'll tell you this. If you don't want the responsibility, then, hey, I'm here. I'm willing. Okay, all right. You talk me into it. I release all my responsibility. I, I am the next of kin. I don't need the property. I don't need the monetary. I don't need any of those things. And I sure don't need another woman and a daughter-in-law and all these other things in the house. Listen, I, I just need... You can have it. All right, take your shoe off. They take their shoe off. They, they exchange. They make the agreement. And Boaz and Ruth now have the opportunity because he becomes her kinsman redeemer. You know, that's what the Lord did for us. When nobody wanted the responsibility of our heavy weight in their life, nobody wanted to take all of our past and all of our dysfunction and all of our sin and all of our struggle and all of our craziness and all of our ups and downs and all of our confusion and, and everybody else just wanted to use us and abuse us and leave us and get what they could. He said, I'll step in. I, I'll become their kinsman redeemer. I'll pay the price for them. It's not too big for me. I love them. I think, yes, I'll, I'll do that. And Boaz becomes a model if you will of what Jesus Christ did for us when, when he went to Calvary and paid for our salvation I love this and I'm so thankful that we have a kinsman redeemer that did not want to leave us alone to struggle in our everyday ups and downs but he would step in and become everything that we need to survive everything that we need to hold on everything that we would need he became that and so, once this takes place, then here we are in the fourth chapter. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went in to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women, you remember those same ones? Remember those same ones that said, is, that's not Naomi. She has not been at the spa in a while. Are you kidding me? Look how she's aged. Oh, whoa. I can't believe she's wearing that. Can you see? Oh, it looks like she has been through the ringer. I mean, they, when she came home a few chapters late, 
earlier, they did not even recognize her. They were ripping into her, talking about her, criticizing her. This can't be her. She knew she was going to have to face all of that when she made her decision to go home. But notice what happened in the fourth chapter. Those same women are now saying, they said to her, Blessed be the Lord who has not let, left you this day without a Redeemer. Amen. And may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you. Now listen, in case you think somehow we've misplaced this in the dialogue today, when she clinged to her, Different from her sister-in-law, she wasn't saying, I'm only doing something in a physical way, clinging. The reason she did that was because she loved her. This wasn't void love. You, you live for God because you love Him. You cling to Him because you love Him. You just don't let that be mis interpreted by just the emotion. If you truly love something, then you demonstrate it. You, don't, you, 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 you cling to it. You follow it. You serve it. You do whatever it is. And so they said, we see that, you love, that they, she loves you. Who is, and she is more to you than seven sons. Think about a woman that came home, lost both of her sons, dreaming of if I could just have another son. If I could just have. And the Bible said these women recognized that that one girl became more important to her than seven sons. If she would have had seven more sons, it would, have, would in no way compare to the act of this one girl who loved her to the degree that she served her willingly. She is more to you than seven sons and has given birth to Him. So here's what happens, alright? Clinging, commitment, carrying out, it's communicated, comfort comes, and following comfort comes the connection. So Boaz took Ruth. Now she is connected. She was disconnected. See, you can be comforted and still disconnected. Comfort isn't the final stop. If I could just feel better, that's awesome. That's wonderful. We all want to feel better, but there's something that goes beyond feeling better, and go beyond feeling better is connected. To know that you belong, to know that you are connected is more than just being comforted. So many people strive in their life just to get to the place where they feel better about everything they've been going through. But to get beyond that, the next step is connection. I don't want to just be comforted by Him. I want to be connected to Him. I don't want to just feel good about my life and past it. I can face tomorrow. Yes, you can, but I want to be connected to Him. I want to belong to Him. I want Him to belong to me. The, the, the belonging, the connection. So it goes from the connection, and from the connection started what the Bible tells us was a consummation of the connection. Conception happened. See, when you're connected to Him, man, this is too big and too deep for some of you. You're just staring at me. 
Should have broke it up into like five or six weeks to give you bite-sized pieces. If church is just about you being comforted, you've missed the point. Okay? I want you to be comforted. It's part of the process. But the next step is connection. And after connection is conception. Alright? It's consummation. It's when something is birthed in you. Okay? He didn't just bring you into this to make you feel better. He brought you into this to produce something through you. He, he brought you into this, not so you could say, I feel so much better and God's so good. You can go out there and people see that things are being birthed in your life that would not have happened void or minus that connection. And then and, and the whole story is played out right here because now um, the marriage is consummated. Conception takes place. And then, what comes out of that? A birth. A son is born. And the son becomes the consolation. See, you'll, you, there's a big difference in comfort and consolation. A lot of people live in church life in the area of comfort. And ne- very few get to the place of consolation. If you get to the place of consolation, you've made the journey and you're one step away. One step away from the entire process, right? Let me give this to you. Philippians 1 and 6 says this, and I am sure of this, that He who began a good work will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1 and 6. See, I'm working toward completion. I'm not working toward comfort only. I'm not working toward connection only. I'm not working toward consolation only. I am working toward completion. And that completion will only happen as I allow Him to do His work in my life. He started it. He will complete it. I'm on a journey. It'll take a little while to get there. But I refuse to stop somewhere along the way. And there's one act that releases all of this favor in your life. And it's the act of clinging to Him. If you're ever going to get to the place of completion, it cannot start anywhere else but at clinging. When when life is tough, cling to Him. When you don't have answers, cling to Him. When people are against you, cling to Him. When decisions have to be made, cling to Him. When things are weighing on you, cling to Him. When you're frustrated, cling to Him. When when you're overwhelmed, cling to Him. When you're mad, cling to Him. When things are up, cling to Him. When things are down, cling to Him. When everything is upside down in your life, cling to Him. 
Quit trying to get all those other things in place. And minus that, none of that other stuff works if you're not holding on to Him. Because the only way you can get to completion is by holding on to Him. Every step of the way, every step in the journey, hold on to Him. And He will complete the work in your life. Let's stand together and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Cling to Him. The angel huh, wrestled with Jacob. Thought it would be a quick skirmish, but the truth of the matter was, Jacob said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. I'm not letting you go until something is finished in my life. Oh, come on, hear me now. I, I don't have time. I've already exhausted my time. Here is a guy that was a conniver, a cheat, a guy that was tough to deal with, that grabbed a hold of him and said, I'm not letting go until something changes. His name was changed. His identity was changed. That's, that's what happened to this woman. Do you realize that she, she is in the, 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 the bloodline, if you will, the lineage of Jesus Christ? She becomes a great, 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 great grandmother of our Savior? He, he chooses to be born there because of a woman who decides to cling when somebody else says, I love you, I love you, and walks off. God is not looking for your emotional support. God is not looking for your affectionate display. He's looking for your acts. The Bible said that, and, and, and I just want you to hear it. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, it didn't say that he who began speaking nice things over you. He who began by saying, you little precious, I love you so much, you mean so much to me. Oh, my, 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 my little baby. It says he started a good work. He wants someone to live up to the same level of commitment that he made to them. He started a good work in you. He intends on completing that. It'll happen when you cling to Him. When you embrace Him. When you get a death grip on Him and say, I'll die wherever you die, but I'm never letting go of this. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. Anybody want to step out from where you are? I invite you to come and stand with me for a few moments around around this altar. I invite you to come and just find a place here. And I know that there are folks standing here that have been through ups and downs. People that are making their way here right now that have gone through storms. You've gone through loss. You've gone through increase. You've gone through all kinds of things happening in your life. But listen to Pastor today. I promise you according to the Word of God, if you'll take the one act of clinging to Him, when you cling to Him, you automatically release, cause release to come in your life that cannot be 
measured on the front end. It cannot even be decided on the front end. It can't be dreamed up on the front end. All you have to do is cling and God takes over. And when He takes over, He intends on completing a work of favor and blessing and consolation and comfort and everything that you need through the entire journey. But it starts with getting a hold of Him. Father, right now, I pray that there would be people in this house this morning who would just...